This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by New Wave and their Flow State Coffee. I'm going to hit you with a fact right now. Fact is this. You listen to other podcasts. I know you do. Everybody does. But here's the situation. These motherfuckers are reading ad copy from companies that they don't give a shit about, from products that they don't use, and they are fucking lying to you. Trust me, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not a shyster, I'm not a snake, and I'm not an asshole. And because I don't fucking need this shit, and I just do it because I love to do it, I don't need to be talking about companies that I don't give a fuck about just because I need to pay the bills to do this. So while these other podcasts are going to sell you down a river with all this other bullshit that's not true, and they just lie to you for the first two minutes of every podcast, I'm here to tell you the truth. The Berman Hour is sponsored by New Wave, which is a company that was started by my friend Greg Frontero, who's, you know, like the douche that you like in your group of friends. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, let's get it. Oh, let's get it. I'm going to keep that in. All right, Greg is great, but here's the deal. He created this Flow State Coffee because he wanted something that helped put his brain into an optimum performance mode when he had coffee. He's a coffee lover like all of us are, and he developed this really, really simple formula. Coffee with raw cacao with L-theanine. And like I said, L-theanine is an amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety, and it helps your brain waves. So when you drink this, the caffeine reacts with the L-theanine, and it keeps you calm, it keeps you settled, but most importantly, it keeps you focused. And let me help you get 10% off your first order. Go to newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Newwave.co slash Berman. Get yourself some coffee. Get coffee for a friend of yours that loves coffee. I wouldn't lie to you because I don't need to lie to you. So newwave.co slash Berman. Get yourself 10% off your first order and enjoy. And enjoy this podcast. Let's get it. Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Quick plug, shameless plug, shameless shill. The song that we just heard is the instrumental version of my new single, the new Divided Heaven single, which is called Baby in the Band. It's out today. So wherever you stream music or buy digital music, please go there. iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, whatever it is. Don't buy it on Amazon. I I don't even want it on Amazon. That's a whole other thing. Don't do... You don't need to go to Amazon for your music. My guest today is Erin Bradley Danger. You might know her from Cobra Kai. I know her from Cobra Kai. But I also know her because she was my fucking babysitter when I was really young. And I hadn't spoken to her in at least 25 years or so. And then I saw her on Cobra Kai, and then I reached out to her on Instagram, and we've kept in touch since, and it's been really fun. That was right when Cobra Kai was kind of getting popular as a YouTube series, which is what it started as, and then by the time it became this huge hit on Netflix, I thought, yo, I gotta hit my old babysitter, get her on the Berman Hour podcast, you know what I'm saying? It was great to catch up with Aaron from a personal standpoint. It was great to get a little bit of the dirt and the backstory on her character in the Cobra Kai series and how it kind of played out and and where her role is coming from, so to speak. 
But, you know, someone you haven't talked to in 25 years, it's just great to catch up about life. So, you know, we talk about music, we talk about the scene in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where we're both from. And I really enjoyed this conversation, and I know that you will too. And probably, you know, the high school that we went to as well, because I think we went to the same high school. And I think they're going to write about this podcast. So if they're listening, I hope they mention that I say fuck a lot, because that's what I learned at Lancaster Country Day. Buck, 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 buck. Anyway, I know her, knew her as Aaron Bradley, family friend and babysitter. And here's who she is now, Aaron Bradley Danger, on the Berman Hour podcast. Enjoy. Let's get it. exact moment and when I moved out of that house my family bought your grandparents house <laughs> Lancaster's very incestual place apparently yeah but yeah <laughs> that's awesome pardon the vanity but I just I have to know if do you have like memories of babysitting me because I have oh, one yeah. one vivid memory of you babysitting and, okay, and I'll share it in tell, a minute you tell okay we were on the second floor of the house across the street And you were telling my sister and I about a friend of yours who liked to go exploring in graveyards. Okay, yes. That would be my friend Doug. Okay, and he was there with one of his friends. The other friend dared your friend to eat graveyard dust. And I was like, (laughs) what is graveyard dust, Aaron? And he said he just grabbed a bunch of dust from the graveyard and then put his finger in it, and then put his finger on his tongue. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. And then you told us how sick he got. And, and I was like, what? I mean, even, even as a little kid, it's, it spooked me. It still spooks me. And every time I'm in a graveyard, I think about you telling me about graveyard dust. That is so wild. Thing. And, you know, I've totally forgotten about that. But it's um, it sounds definitely like something my friend Doug would have done. He, <laughs> okay. um, he told us all that he was a vampire that you know you couldn't take a picture of him because we'd be like Doug let's take a picture and be like well I'm not going to show up in it so what's the point (laughs) (laughs) he I'm still in touch with him um pretty frequently actually we were just texting the other day so I'm gonna have to ask him if he remembers what that was and who was with him because at this point I don't remember but graveyard dust but yeah yeah, I guess just whatever dirt was on the ground (laughs) I don't know, Jeff. Well, it I mean, stuck with me. It stuck with me. Any memories of me as a, yeah, as a little kid? Um, I mean, possibly embarrassing, but I remember changing your diaper, which is- Oh, weird. my goodness. But oh I, my goodness. I mostly just bring it up because I remember I would never have been in your room other than babysitting. When we would come over to your house with my family, we were always in your family room upstairs or in the kitchen- Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you guys having a really cool original farmhouse sink before that was a thing, like a trend in f- design years later. Oh, and, we did? Um, spent a lot of time in Sarah's room because that was like the cool attic conversion. But I just have this image of standing in your room at the changing table, which at that point was on the wall that was um, that uh, was attached to the hallway. Like right when you came in the door, it was to the left. So I don't know what happened after that, like how... 
how you may have rearranged your room differently later, but that's how I remember your room. And you were so little that I just, I don't, I guess any of the memories of like what you're talking about where I was telling stories and stuff would have been much later. And I, yeah. I don't, I have a weird memory of, um, of all of us sitting on the sofa. This was still at the old watching Fraggle Rock and having that, you know, the HBO logo that comes on, it plays that do, 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 do thing. Of course. Yeah. They still use it. It's crazy. But that is my first memory of that. Cause I never had HBO. And I remember coming to your house and wanting to see all the cool things, but all you guys ever wanted to watch was Fraggle Rock. <laughs> that sounds like me. That sounds like <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was so long ago and it's weird. And I feel like, um, you know, our families have kept in touch over the years so well, but I, I, you were in LA and I was here and uh, Sarah was in DC and I've, I've not been very good at keeping in touch via social media or anything. It's kind of crazy. I don't know. No, that's, that's okay. And it was nice to reconnect with you. I, I don't remember, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into Cobra Kai in, in a little bit, but it was enough of like a, I mean, it was, it was popular. It was fucking popular on YouTube. Don't get me wrong, but it was kind of, because it was YouTube, it was like a sleeper hit, I think. Yeah. And when I came across something that had you in it, I was like, wait a minute. Like, cause <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that you had made the transition to acting i knew yeah. you as being a musician yeah hopefully when you changed my di- hopefully it you did a good job because we're never gonna know because <laughs> it just it happened and, and i wasn't expecting that that's that's fantastic it's pretty um, cool something I, I have to ask that i don't know if anybody else that's listening is going to give a fuck about but since <laughs> i've been back in lancaster for the past eight months i've i've been rummaging through my memories of what I first experienced when I was a a young kid, a young teenager, and I was allowed to come to downtown Lancaster and experience Mm -hmm. BBC records and the chameleon and all these things. And that was right when live exploded. Right. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly Tammy and the innocence mission were climbing up the ladder as well. I remember sitting in history class and looking out the window of the room and seeing Ed Kowalczyk walking his dog, like his dog <laughs> is taking a shit as I'm taking this test. And I'm like, this is fucking, That's this is right. not normal. But I was too young and I was too naive to really kind of understand what it was like. So I'm curious of your reflections of the Lancaster music scene, Wow. which for outsiders, they need to know how fertile it was and still oh is gosh, pandemic yeah. notwithstanding. But because you were of that generation really of those you know, vibrant bands. What was it like for oh, you yeah. as a teenager here? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, there was always a great show at Chameleon and it was, to my recollection, always all ages. I don't remember ever not being able to get into a show. Although I will say that um, Kenny Heitmuller, who's the bass player for Suddenly Tammy, was one of my best friends. And so it could be that I'm remembering that incorrectly because he may have gotten me into some shows that I wasn't supposed to be at I don't know he's really the the pinnacle of my memories of all of that because he ran sound there at Chameleon and Mm -hmm. um anytime I ever went to a show I mean let's see who did I see of note I mean I saw so many shows but seven seconds was one of my all-time favorites there and throwing muses twice maybe even three times but he would record the shows on the board and then 
let me hear the bootleg copies of it. So you could kind of relive it again next week at his house. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. It was fun to be able to have somebody like Kenny to to get me another level of that experience. Because as you said, there were so many awesome bands and so much cool music happening. And I feel like I got to see it all. It was was really an exciting time for sure. Yeah, it's worth noting that Lancaster is a good B market. Yeah. And so bands would come to Philadelphia on the first tour for their new record, and then they'd come to Lancaster on the second tour. From a local perspective, we were just always in awe. And even when we were too young to go to the shows, me and my friends, we would still be kind of in disbelief, like, really, like, yeah. Black Drain Jack is going to come here three Sundays next month? That's yeah. crazy. That too bad we can't cool. go. But it was, uh, it was almost like all eyes – from our perspective, we're on New York City and the bands Mm -hmm. that even if they weren't really from New York, they were claiming they were from New York and then they would come to Lancaster and their shows were probably better here than they were in New York anyway. Mm -hmm. But but that's where the the hub of that kind of alternative industry seemed to be at that time. Well, and it was still kind of pre-internet, even though internet existed probably in the the later days of that, it was new. Um, I, I remember this is sort of a tangent, but when I was on Damon Records with my early Atlanta band, the Modalitas, the label had this company called Team Claremont. I think they were out of Athens. um, That was in charge of all of our radio airplay, like checking up on which markets were getting play. And you would use their data to try to decide where to go tour. Mm-hmm. And I think that those groups, with Team Claremont and other ones like them, often identified Lancaster as a great market for these shows because they would see how many people actually traveled from a place like Lancaster to Philadelphia to see a show. Mm-hmm. So they knew somehow that these weren't all people that lived in Philly. Just the same way with Atlanta here. I mean, we used to, when I went to college in Alabama, we used to drive three hours to Atlanta to see a show because they wouldn't always come to Birmingham. It's interesting that even before, like now you have so much data that you can gather from social media and from um, other means of people connecting with you directly to know where your fans are based. And back then it was such a, a crapshoot. It was like a guessing game, but they... They had at least figured out that a town like Lancaster that had FNM's radio, college radio station, that's where I heard all my new music first back then. Yeah, that was great back in the day. That was yeah. Great. And so I think having that college station that would report to companies like Team Claremont that they were giving certain indie albums airplay uh, and then having clubs like Chameleon that gave you a venue it just it made it the perfect storm of awesomeness for for music back in the day. Well, how did you end up in Alabama? Oh, that's school? that's thanks to my mom mostly. I had looked at a bunch of different um, universities when I was looking at colleges, and I knew I wanted to do advertising, or I thought I did. So my mom, who worked at McCaskey, she was the librarian, and she lo- looked up the database, which is the Peterson's Guide that people are pretty familiar with for college information, but this is the first time it was online. And so it was pretty cool. She was able to kind of triangulate all the schools that had uh, the criteria that I was looking for, size of the campus and the type of, like, I didn't want a city campus. I wanted something with trees and things and advertising as a major with a pretty good accreditation for it. And she narrowed it down to like five or six schools and they were all up and down the East Coast because I, I, for some reason, I just didn't want to go West yet. 
I've had that desire since, but back then I was like, well, let me just stick to this Eastern seaboard. Yeah. And we went to, um, we went to UGA as one of the Southern stops. And I, I loved Athens and I was a huge REM fan and my parents knew that. And I remember being at a diner there. I wanted to go across the street to this music store. It wasn't Walk Street and it's not there anymore. And I can't remember, remember the name of it, but it was, uh, this little, um, record and tape shop. It was down in the basement level of this building. And so I went across to see if they had a, a time toy tape because it was this band from Athens I'd heard about. And in Lancaster, it was hard for us to get a lot of the smaller band stuff. So I wanted to go collect a few of the tapes of the bands that I'd heard. And while I was gone, my dad paid the waitress to tell him where Peter Buck lived. And she did. <laughs> and so I come back from the tape store, dinner's on the table, we eat. I know nothing of what just transpired. And then the next morning, we get up to leave. And I I don't know why I've always had a pretty, pretty good sense of direction. So when we started back toward the highway, I was like, wait a minute, this, we came from the other direction, dad, you're going the wrong way. I knew we weren't going where we should have been going, but he was like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I'm like, all right. So I get back to my, you know, Walkman or whatever. I was <laughs> old school music delivery system. I was playing. I look up a little while later because he, he pulls the car over and I'm thinking, oh, see, I was right. He's going the wrong way. And I look around and my head turns. I wish there was video of this. My head turns out to look out my passenger side window and I see Peter Buck's house. And I'm like, oh my God. Wait, did you recognize like, his house? Dad, that's Peter Buck's house. And he's like, I know. <laughs> Wait, how did you recognize that it was his house? Well, there were pictures. So I used to subscribe to this weird, again, pre-internet. It was so hard to get stuff. Um, but it was this zine that had bootlegs and European pressings of stuff that you could order. They had a whole section of these REM bootlegs. And so <laughs> I had one of them that they had a picture of Peter Buck sitting in his pajamas on his front stoop. And you could see the house in the background. And so that's how I just looked out the window and I could almost see him sitting wow. there. It was exactly the same framing as this photo that I had seen. Holy and I went shit. up to the door and knocked on it. And, you know, I was just going to say hi. I wasn't going to be like a weirdo, but of course nobody answered. But that actually brings me to another tangent of many, many years later when my band played the 40 Watt in Athens and Michael Stipe and Mike Mills were there and we went to like a fraternity house or something after the show for a party. And I spent the whole like five hours. We, we were there till like four in the morning or something. I don't know. Standing on the front porch, talking to Mike Mills about all these bootlegs that I had bought from this zine. And he was so upset about it. And he understood my point of view, which was I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I don't have access to any of this stuff. And I, I'm hungry for it. I want to hear all of it. Sure. And I can't go to your live shows in the small venues. And I just, I want to see, I want to hear what that's like. He understood that. But then I understood his point, which was that we don't know who's recording these. It's not even a matter of money of the fact that is also wrong that they're making money off of our stuff. But that wasn't what bothered, bothered him the most. It was that they had no control over the audio quality. And some of them were pretty shitty. Yeah. So. That's amazing. That's such a cool story. It was really, it was, it made my life pretty much. But so from there on the college trip, we headed West to Alabama, to Tuscaloosa. Mm -hmm. And I just remember when we got out of the car, 
It was our last stop of all the places we'd seen. Everyone said hi. Like as you're walking around on campus and just people, hey, how you doing? You know, just friendly, friendly, friendly. That wasn't something I was used to. But so it was just very welcoming. And I think that combined with the fact that I, that year, they the previous year, they had been ranked number two or something in communications as colleges go. Yeah. Like, okay, this seems like a good fit. And it turned out to be great. I had a great experience there, a huge music scene that you would not have expected. Tons of original stuff happening. I was in a punk band there. But yeah, we had we had a blast. So it was it was a good choice in hindsight. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you decide kind of once you were there and you were established in that region of the country that, you know, you wanted to go to Atlanta and, and you just kind of wanted to get it back into a bigger city sort of situation? Yeah. Or, or what were you thinking? I did miss a little bit of that, the city vibe, but I never thought I would go as big as Atlanta because I, I worked at Kinko's, which for those of you who are young is now FedEx office. Back in the day, they were Kinko's copy shops and I was the desktop publishing coordinator after I graduated from college, just for that first summer after school, before I got my, my first quote unquote real job. They had an opportunity for, there was a, a meeting we all had to attend at the headquarters in Atlanta. And you know, I was a poor <laughs> recent college graduate, not making much money. And I was like, oh, so if I drive, I get paid for the mileage and for my gas. I'll volunteer for that. Oh my gosh. I think everyone in the car with me was scared out of their minds. I was white knuckling it on the highway because I'd never driven, except maybe around Philly. I had never driven in traffic like that before. And I know you probably find that humorous because it's nothing like LA. No, but Atlanta's nothing to scoff at either. I mean, Atlanta's it, massive. You know, yeah. and, it, and it's I, got, yeah. it's crazy too. Yeah. I swore I would never go back after that experience. It scared me so much. I was like lucky to be alive, but here I am. So obviously I got over that, but yeah, I, th well, I moved after I graduated and I, I worked for the university for two years at the university press uh, as a book designer. That got me started on my book design career, which was awesome, but I do still work for them and it's, you know, however many years I won't say later. And it's been my longest running client, you know, working freelance once I left full time. But it was nice because I, I had two friends here from college, one who has since passed away, sadly. He and my uh, now husband both played in a band called The Penetrators. It was a instrumental surf band. And, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, um, they were big in the music scene here and introduced me to a lot of, of their friends. And Dusty Watson, who was the drummer for Agent Orange, also mm -hmm. played with Dick Dale. He came through Atlanta a lot. And we had a, um, we took him out to dinner when he came one time. And, uh, and it was at that dinner that I met two of the people that would later be in my first band here, oh, cool. Mary and Courtney from the Modalitas. And I, and my husband introduced me to the, the drummer, Stacy, that he um, knew from work. So it was kind of thanks to a dinner with Dusty Watson that that band was formed, which was kind oh, of cool. amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's something I wanted to ask from an LA perspective. Yeah. When, when I, you know, because I was there for 12 years and it became apparent that Atlanta was very much the new Hollywood for a number of reasons, the tax exemptions and all of that. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon there were direct flights from Burbank, you know, which is the Hollywood airport to Atlanta, which is kind of remarkable. Yeah. And Atlanta became the sub for a lot of projects and a lot of filming. You had a history in acting, but you had this other career now and you were able to pounce on opportunities that were happening in Atlanta because you were there. 
or did you kind of think, nah, fuck it, I'm going to seek out opportunities as they're, they're coming here because this is something that I want to be doing more of? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I wish that I had realized the direction that Atlanta was headed in earlier okay. because I, I missed out on several really good years of work because I, I was still playing music and trying to, to, I had a band from like 2007 to 2010 or 11 that we were really trying to make that happen. And which in hindsight, the band is called the Holland Dutch. And I thought that we were really good. If I'm allowed to say that my husband and I listened back on one of our records a couple weeks ago and we were like, God, man, we were really tight. That's, we should have done more with that. But at the time we had two kids that were little and it was kind of silly to think, oh yeah, we're going to tour and do all the, I mean, I don't know, pie in the sky. But I was really focused on that. But my husband worked in broadcast for Macy's and he was in charge of casting all their commercials and um, he and his uh, business partners you know, in, in their team wrote the scripts and just did everything. And sure. he was involved with a lot of the big agencies here getting talent for them. And I don't know why. I mean, there were so many days that I would go meet him for lunch at the post-production house at Doppler Studios. And he was really good friends still to this day with the guys that worked there. It has since closed. Um, but one of the guys, Sean Coleman, is working at another place now where I went to, to record ADR for Cobra Kai. And he was my sound engineer. So it was really oh, cool. neat having that like full circle yeah. moment with him. And and it was my first time recording ADR. So it was nice to have someone I felt comfortable with. So I didn't feel like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. And, you know, I wasn't at all uncomfortable telling him to just please walk me through this. I don't screw it up. Sure, sure. Uh, all those times that I was there and it never occurred to me, oh, what is this voiceover thing? I could maybe get into that or you know, any of the, I have friends, well, okay, that first job that I had when I moved to Atlanta, I worked with a, a lovely lady named Carrie Walrand, now Carrie Walrand, Walrand Hood, who is an extremely talented actress, and you've seen her in Ozark, and um, gosh, what she's done a bunch of different movies, she's done uh, yeah. some... I'd have to look at her IMDb because I'm so this is kind of yeah this is kind of like happening underneath your nose like yeah that you're seeing this grow but you're not really putting it together that it's happening no it yeah. didn't I mean like I'm okay so I'm looking at Carrie and we're talking at work one day and she says hey I'm doing some improv with this improv troupe I don't remember if she was part of a troupe or if it was a class she was taking but it was it was early on in her career and she said yeah it's kind of far away it was like way up 85 north and far from where we lived she, you know, she was doing the very kind, like, you do not have to make that trip, whatever, don't feel like you have to come. But if you want to, I'm going to do this show. Elliot, my husband and I went up there and we weren't married at the time. This was a date for us. Way far OTP, as we say in Atlanta, outside the perimeter where you don't yeah. bother to go usually. It was the best show. They were so funny and they were really, really, you know, sometimes you go see improv and it's painful when people are learning because they're trying to figure out their way through, but their timing was, it was great. You know, I could see right then and there how much talent she had. And it still didn't occur to me like, oh, I could do that because I wasn't ever like an improv person. I, I grew up doing musical theater mostly. And so, yeah, it's weird. I feel kind of dumb now for not going like, hey, Carrie, how did how did you get into this? Can I ride your coattails? Yeah, so it yeah. It was many, many years later. I have a friend who who wrote a short film and 
asked if I wanted to be in it. This was in 2005. So that was my first foray into, into film. And yeah. then I really enjoyed it. And from there, it was still another 10 years before I decided to do some background stuff. And that only came about because my kids were doing background because my, my eldest child uh, wanted to be an actor as a young person. And she was with an agency and had some a commercial or booking here and there, did, did some work and uh, wanted to see what the film industry was like. And it was recommended that you go try and be an extra first. So you learn etiquette for, for a big real set and yeah, how to handle yourself and yeah. how the parents can handle themselves if they're there with their kids. And- yep. And whose job is what, you know, who do you talk to when you have a question? Yeah. Who do you not bother? All these kinds of important things. And so I was strictly there as their chaperone. And this was for the movie Vacation with Ed Helms and Christina Applegate. Sure. They ended up having a big, it was shot at, it was supposed to be Wally World, but it was shot at Six Flags here. And they had a shot set up where they realized they didn't have enough extras to make a crowd seem big enough in the background. And so they came back to holding and asked some of the parents if we would be willing to sign our lives away and come be in it. And so I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. And it was a way for me to kind of see what my kids were doing, because otherwise they whisk them away from you for the scene and you're over here and you can't see what they're doing. And it was great. I mean, I was like five feet from Christina Applegate at one point. And I, you know, I'm a little starstruck sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this is pretty cool. And just the the movie magic of seeing how they shot everything from different angles and the setups and then seeing the movie when it came out and seeing that scene. I think that's really what got me more than more than the acting just by itself. I just love the whole process. The of process. Everything. Yeah. How many kids do you have? Two. Two. That's right. Yes. Both, both girls. Yeah. Two daughters. And Wonderful. they're. They're both in high school and know a lot more about social media than I do, but do they help uh, you out? <laughs> yes. Yesterday, I was trying to do something on Instagram, and I was like, "God, these!" Because sometimes when you're doing a story, I find some of the tools a little clunky. Yes. And my daughter was like, "Well, if you just hold it down, it will color the whole thing." <laughs> so, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, occasionally. I need to go to them more often than I do, I think, for help. I, yeah, I could use some help with that too. Well, let's let's talk Cobra Kai because I'm yeah. I'm a fan. I'm genuinely curious. When, when you were filming this, if my math is correct, you guys probably started filming in 2017 and 2018. Yeah, it was fall of 2017 for season one. Yeah, and then I wasn't in season two. That was that took place in the summer, so there were no school shots or um, right or characters there. And now and you're then, back. Yes. And season three. we started shooting that. It's been so hard because, you know, we're not supposed to talk about whether or not we're in it because they love surprises, even for the small characters. Yeah. And so it was really difficult keeping my mouth shut, but I did it because we shot that in September or I was on set. I think they started in August, but I was on set in early September of 2019. And here we are today. It's been a really long wait. And I feel bad for the fans because I know as hard as it is for us to wait, it's even harder for them. Well, Um, I mean, I can speak for everybody. It came out, what, the first? And we I was done with it by the third. Oh, yeah. Same. This new season. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's great. It's great. I take it. I mean, did you have to go to L.A. to film any of that or did everything that you do? No, they they shoot most of it in Atlanta. Um, Obviously, the establishing shots of Valley 
are right. real. There are some scenes that have been shot there, but the majority of it is shot here in Atlanta. So it's very convenient. Yeah, there was a scene in season three where my wife, because my wife was born and raised in the Valley. She's from okay. Winnetka, which has actually got a name drop in this season. But Winnetka yeah. is right next to Reseda, and it's right next to Canoga Park. It's kind of tucked right in that the heart of where this is taking place. Wow. And every once in a while when we're watching it, she'll be like, where the fuck is that? And I'll be like, that's definitely, that's definitely Georgia. Like all those scenes of the lake and shit, that's, that's Georgia. And yeah. there was one, it was like the car chase scene where he's in the van or whatever. And it's those really narrow streets that just go on forever that are somehow still in the city of Atlanta, but aren't like, they don't feel urban. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, like those streets out near where the masquerade was, mm-hmm. you know, 20 yep. years ago when there was nothing else built up around there. And it was just these streets that kind of took you through nowhere I was yeah. like, that's that's Atlanta that's for sure Atlanta oh yeah. yeah I definitely recognize some of the stuff when we're watching it and I'm like oh that's over there by whatever and my husband's like oh yeah sure that's <laughs> funny. Yeah. are you surprised at how much it's taken off you know it's it's been awesome and I think there's a, a little element of surprise in the excitement but not surprise in, like I when I first read the script for season one, I was like, these guys have it. They get it. They, they're going to do a great job. It was just evident from the writing right away that it wasn't going to be another sequel that people would pan or make fun of. Like some, I mean, I feel bad. I think, you know, everyone talks about the first two karate kid movies being canon. And then everything after that's kind of whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But, but then again, you know, they're like Hillary Swank was in, one of them. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think that they're all, all bad. People just give more credit to the first two. But I know that because of that, because of that mindset that came with the later ones, I think people were hesitant to get on board thinking, oh, this is just going to be another offshoot of the same thing we've seen before. But it thankfully wasn't. And I think the writers, the creators have done such a great job. You know, it satisfies (laughs) that need for nostalgia, but also... Um, the storyline, like my mom loves the show and she knows nothing about karate or doesn't, you know, it's the story that gets her and she really enjoys that. So it's, it's for all ages. I don't know. I just think they've really nailed every aspect uh, other than I've, I've had so many people tell me about these little discrepancies, people who do like mixed martial arts or Taekwondo or whatever, Ugh. people walking on the mat with shoes on oh my God. things like that that are wait Aaron people are reaching out to you about this shit well people comment uh, yes people oh comment God. when we get into a conversation you know they'll talk about a lot of times how they're surprised that they like it because they don't think they're in the target audience for it yeah and then yeah. that goes on to like well I've kind of wanted to check it out because I do karate or whatever and I'm you know was interested from that perspective and and then I always want to ask them about the stunts because I've sat there and watched some of these fight scenes be filmed in person. And it blows my mind what goes into, first of all, choreographing the fight itself, mm-hmm. but then also having to pull out a, a star and put in a stunt double and have it be seamless. It's amazing. And I can't even imagine, like, even if it isn't completely 100% perfectly true to, form 
which I know nothing about. Yeah, but it's entertainment. It, it doesn't need it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they deserve a lot of credit for what goes into making it look real. I can't speak to the technique or any of that, obviously. Um, so to no. me, it looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's to me too. And, and you know, any douchebag that's going to hit up, you know, Counselor Blatt to be like, well, actually the sequence wasn't. <laughs> Well, I, I fell into a rabbit hole the other day reading um, some comments. Um, the show posted a thing of me with, with Gianni DiCenzo that plays Dimitri um, about the detention thing. Oh, the comments about people hate Counselor Blatt. It's funny. <laughs> I'm hopeful that they all understand that I'm playing a character. And so I, you know, but, uh. <laughs> but they're just, they have such strong feelings and rightfully so about the state of that, like educators who take sides or don't look at the whole picture and hand down punishments. I mean, I've had some situations like that with my own kids. And I remember one time my, my daughter wore a shirt to school that had a, it wasn't lace, but that's, it was like a, a slightly transparent material on the back, but it had a pattern over it. So it wasn't mm. like you could see her back. Like you couldn't see the skin on her back, but it had a little bit of a translucency to just this panel down the back. And it had this lacy stuff that covered it. And she got sent home. And I had a real problem with that because I'm like, first of all, this is not even see-through. I don't know what you're so upset about, but also, you know, why, why is it on her to control some middle school boy's ability to, you know, not be a doofus? I I don't know. I, I get that sense from people of how um, the sense of injustice that comes from a punishment being handed down or rules being made um, that seem arbitrary or unfair to one or one party or another. So I totally get it. And I know the writers did that on purpose. You know, they they yeah. wanted that fuel to the fire of like, not only are these kids having their own internal struggles, but here's this bitch that, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> But she means well. She thinks she's doing the right thing, which adds yeah. a layer to her that's really fun to play. Like she, she's getting a little too caught up in her protectiveness of Eli because he's really not Eli anymore. He can take care of himself. You know, she still did him wrong even from season one. The yeah. kid with the thing on his lip. Like she outed him and trying not to say his name. <laughs> she's kind of a bumbling fool when it comes to that stuff. But, but I think yeah. her heart's in the right place. So I'm going to see if I can get you to, we call it, it's in the wrestling business, it's called breaking kayfabe, where you kind of break down the, the disbelief, you break down the wall of reality to see if I can mm -hmm. get a scoop. And if you can't tell me, or you're going to get fired, then don't tell me. <laughs> okay. But Counselor Blatt and Daniel Sun, mm -hmm. did you guys hook up? Is that what's going on? Oh, you know, no. you guys have a storied past. Have no. you guys hooked up in the past? Is that what we're going to discover later we on? We have a backstory that is, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to tell you. So in the original Karate Kid movie, Allie, uh, Elizabeth Shue's character has two friends that are flanking her in a lot of the scenes. One of them has long, dark hair, and her name's Susan. She's played by um, Julie Fields. She is, I am written as her younger sister. So in all the stuff that was happening in The Karate Kid, I would have been this younger, like I probably was at the All-Valley Championship with my family. Sure. That's the idea that, that Counselor Blatt was, was there, but was maybe like three years younger or something. I've never been given an actual number, but I'm thinking it's kind of that thing where like you're a freshman and you have a crush on a senior and there's just yeah. never any chance that 
that's going to happen. So that's well, what that's I've great. modeled it on. Yeah. Well, thank you for the honest answer. And, and like yeah. I said, I, I hope that spilling it here on the Berman Hour podcast does not uh, hinder your future employment. In no, the I think series. I'm okay. I think right. I'll be safe. And and he makes reference. Uh, uh, Daniel says in the one of the dining room scenes, Counselor Blatt and I go way back. It's, which is why he does me a favor and and agrees to chaperone the dance. Which is why I thought you guys had hooked up. I thought he, that was his way of saying, yeah, you know, yeah, things no, might I have think, happened, but I can't get into it because you're my you're my kids. And right. we're gonna... I think that he was always a little too old for me in high school years terms. Got but, it. Um, but I definitely had a crush on him. I hope that that came through in my season one performance of being with him at the dance because I definitely felt like that was the underlying like oh so there were actually some lines that got cut but I was asking him about dating having dated and broken up with Allie kind of I think knowing that he was married but hoping maybe I had a shot I don't know <laughs> um Fair but, enough. and I I tried to bring that into season three as well um and they there were some moments in that auditorium scene in episode one where, you know, they're kind of coming down on on Daniel for Sam being involved in all the, the fighting. And I'm uh, I decided that Counselor Blatt, as much as she's attached to her new initiative for hugs, not hits, you know, with the uh, anti-bullying and anti-violence that she's so into, I still would be empathetic to Daniel's situation mm-hmm. because of our connection. So I try to always keep that in mind. So I'm really, I'm glad that the the writers told me that they had that vision because it really helps me to, to bring that to the character and have it there in the back of my mind as I'm thinking about how she would react to things. So yeah, it's well, that's awesome. That's awesome, Erin. Congratulations. Oh, and that's, you. that's so cool. I had a great moment uh, about, uh, well, last week, you know, like I'm not trying to one up my fucking pregnant wife on anything. <laughs> like she's the queen. I'll do whatever she needs, I'll do it. But she got the nicest Christmas card from a, a name. It, it was someone in the valley. I saw the name and I didn't recognize it. And I said, "Who is this?" And she said, "Oh, it's it's the woman. It was my babysitter when I was a little girl. That's so sweet. She sent me a Christmas card. Don't Aww. you think that's sweet?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then I just I had to do it. I just I pulled the pin on the <laughs> grenade and I said. Yeah, that's really sweet. My babysitter is in fucking Cobra Kai. Boom. Yes. <laughs> and she laughed. She laughed. She thought it was funny. So it, that it worked. That is hilarious. Oh, my well, God. Well, wishing you all the, the great continued success. And I hope that as we climb out of this pandemic and Atlanta becomes more Hollywood than Atlanta anymore, that you get that many more opportunities and, and you just keep doing your thing. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. And I'm so excited for you doing this show. And I hope that also post-pandemic, you'll be able to get back on the road and come down here to Atlanta because I want to see you play live. That was awesome. That was fucking awesome. Thank you very much to Aaron for coming on the pod. I hope that all of you enjoyed my conversation with Aaron Bradley Danger. And I hope that y'all continue to support this Cobra Kai Karate Kid franchise because it seems to be more popular than ever, right? And I'm hoping for more of it. I'd love to see a season four, at least, if not a season five, right? All right, well, fingers crossed. And, you know, if for some reason we don't see Counselor Blatt, if we don't see Aaron on season four, 
we'll see her somewhere else because she's killing it and it's just inevitable. She's she's doing a great job and and we're going to see her elsewhere if we don't see her on Cobra Kai. But hopefully we see her more on Cobra Kai. Thanks to our sponsors, New Wave. Get 10% off your first order going to newwave.co slash Berman. And thanks to all of you. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Berman Hour podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It does not matter where. It does matter that you do those things because it helps the show. And uh, on the uh, December of what might be our American democracy, I just want to say that I hope everyone's safe. I hope everybody's healthy. And I hope that we can get back on a good track very soon. And with that, I bid you adieu. All right, until next time, I'm Jeff Berman from the Berman Hour Podcast. Let's go.